0: Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, should be a fun show tonight. Myself and my co-host, Alex Barallo, will be doing our first mock of the off season. We generally only do two, for those of you that have been listening to the show for a while. On the, uh, you know, the do 25 mock drafts bandwagon. But uh, we'll cover some news items first. But Alex, how you doing? How you feeling? I'm doing good.
1: Special combine day. We're getting a little bit closer and I'm getting excited.
0: Yeah, I'll tell you, you know, it's the combine is, is fun for the diehards, uh, you know, guys that surprise, guys that disappoint. And it didn't take long um, already. I don't know if you saw uh, Brandon Ayuk, who we've you know, spoken highly of and has said it to be a guy who could sneak into the first round and blah, blah, blah. And yes, we do know forties aren't everything, but with a guy like Ayuk, he looks like he looks like a burner on film. So you kind of want to see what he does at the combine. Uh, he ran a four five, which was—I mean—I thought he was going to be a a low four fours guy. Uh, and then on the other side of the other end of the spectrum, uh, and this is all just going on now. I'm just reading off a couple of tweets. It looks like uh, Chase Claypool, who weighed in at two nearly two forty, he weighed in at two thirty six or two thirty eight, something like that. And I saw somebody say, you know, this is probably him looking at a move to tight end, blah blah blah. You're in a four four five. Um looks like Jim Nagy, uh the, the senior bowl exec got him at four three eight. But either way, you're in the four four, is it two forty? Uh good day for him, good day for Claypool. But um but before we go any further, uh, I want to take a second to thank our sponsor, Miles Social, Jet Nation Radio. Would like to thank Mile Social Uh, If you're running a business and you would like to reach out for help managing every aspect of your social media platforms, be it Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, whichever, Instagram, anything you like, whatever you're running for your business, Mile Social will manage it for you. So check them out at milesocial.com. That is M-I-L-E social, milesocial.com. All of your social media needs for you to help run your business. All right. So, Alex. Before we get into the the mock drafts, which, like I said, I I, I do look forward to this stuff because uh, it's it's not something we do a ton of, and 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 they're a good time. They're a good time. But uh, a few news items first, uh, you know, semi news items, rumors floating around on the internet. Uh, first and foremost, Tony Pauline, who's been a guy, he's he's nailed a couple stories in, uh, over the last year or so that other people didn't have. Um, so it looks like he may have some legitimate sources. Now, Tony Pauline claims that the Jets are planning to make a strong push to retain Robbie Anderson. If this is accurate, it definitely comes as a surprise to me because I, I just thought with the depth of the, the position in this draft, that receiver, um, Adam Gase and his tendency to, to ignore Robbie Anderson for weeks at a time on offense kind of made me think they just, he wasn't welcome. But if this rumor is true and we have to remember, sometimes these things do get planted. Sometimes agents that could be Robbie Anderson, Robbie Anderson's agent. You know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Listen, publish this story, say the Jets are going to make a strong push, drive up the price a little. Pauline even says in the article, the bidding with, you know, if other teams get involved, the bidding could go as high as 15 million a year. I'd said previously, I thought the, I thought the ceiling was 13, 14 million. 15, hadn't heard anyone say that number. But uh, what are your thoughts? Is this a legitimate thing in your own mind, Alex, or is this uh, is this a planted story with an agent to drive up a price? Is Robbie Anderson somebody you would pay fifteen million dollars a year for taking into the fact that this draft is insanely deep at wide receiver?
1: Yeah, um I do think there's a little bit of truth that the Jets want to bring back Robbie Anderson. Uh I'm not sure if they're looking to to throw a fifteen million dollar contract at him. Uh I'm I'm just not too sure about that. Um I just get a little leery with about his value um, with this team and with other teams uh, because he's been uh an rFA tag the last couple of years with a second round tender, and no one's picked up the option on him uh now we know that there was some people that were interested in during uh, during the trade deadline last year, but nothing really came to uh you know to any agreement, and basically what other teams were asking for. Uh, was not enough in the the minds of Joe Douglas in the front office. You know, they valued him a lot. The Jets seemed to value him a lot greater than the other teams in the NFL do. So, uh, you know, I kind of feel that, you know, Robbie is uh, trying to bet on himself by testing the market and seeing what he could get. Um, I'm just kind of hoping that this kind of works out to the Jets' favor to where he tests the market. He realizes that he's not, you know, a $15 million uh, you know, annual per year style receiver. And maybe he'll come back to the Jets and look to do something between the nine to 11 million range. And I think I'd be just fine with that.
0: Yeah, I agree. I'd be all right in that range. Like I said, it, and it's, it's weird because having said previously that I could live with them paying 14, it's like, all right, well, is 15 that much. Di- like at what point too much? Because, I know, you know, I kind of came into the off season thinking 11 or 12 would get it done. And I think that may have got it done if they approached him during the season. But now that he can sniff free agency and he knows the bidders will be out there, that's when you say, all right, that's going to drive up the price. And that's when I kind of settled on, all right, I, I could see them going 14. I could live with that. And then it's like 15. It's like, at what point do you say, all right, listen. I, and listen, no one's, no one's been a bigger advocate for Robbie Anderson than me. Um, for those of you that were listening to the show back when he was an undrafted free agent, how impressive he was at Temple uh, when he faced off against William Jackson when they played Cincinnati, and William Jackson was a first-round corner, and Robbie Anderson had like 11 catches for 140 yards against him, and I'd yammer about that every week, so no one's been a bigger supporter of Robbie than I have, um, but 15, I, and I wouldn't have an issue, as much of an issue with 15 if not for the fact that like there's just so many receivers in the draft class. Alex, I, I tweeted out earlier, half-joking, that I do these mocks. Ten more picks because I feel like in every single round there's two or three receivers that are great value, and I'm just like I can't. I I, I have to restrain myself to to not pick six receivers when I do a mock. So uh, I took uh, I, I took a couple in in, in tonight's, but uh, you know we'll see where it goes with Robbie. If they do 15, I won't hate it, but it would shock me because I really just get the feeling. You know, when you look back at at Robbie's game logs last year, they were stretch You know, he, he'd have two, three targets a game, fairly regular, more, a lot more regular than you would expect for a struggling offense uh, with him being the, the biggest weapon they had in the passing game. He would just completely disappear at times. Uh, you know, is he getting jammed at the line? You know, it's entirely possible. But, Jesus, you, you know, you're this, this offensive genius, Adam Gase. Find a way to get your best receiver open um, or, you know, get him some targets. And it just wasn't happening. So I just, I just, don't, I think Adam Gage just doesn't have time for the guy. So I think he will be gone. Not because I want him gone. Just think that'll happen. Uh, more rumors today. Again, I think it was Tony Pauline again. Just and he, he said this a couple weeks ago and and doubled down on it today. Uh, fully expecting the Jets to go after Conklin, uh, Jack Conklin, really hard. Tennessee Titans O lineman, as well as Joe Thune. I don't see any way they get both. The more I think about it. Um, I just I just have a hard time seeing players are going to come here. They're going to want to be overpaid. Uh, and I think Joe Douglas is going to be a little bit more disciplined than that. But we'll see how that goes. But if it's Conklin, how much? I mean, are you willing to pay $20 million a year for Conklin? Or eight, what's, what's your ceiling for Conklin to come to be your starting right tackle?
1: Yeah, I was thinking about this yesterday. And, you know, with Joe Douglas and his, crew need to do is you know, once they start figuring out, you know, what tough cuts they're gonna make and, and how they can try to extend their their salary cap situation, they have to allocate a, a particular set of money that they want to put into the offensive line because that is the biggest need. I understand, you know, people are pounding the table for pass rushers, people want corners. Trust me, the Jets are, are going to address those positions. They just understand that right now when you have a young quarterback and he's going into his third year, he's 22 years old, uh, you traded up a huge package for this kid. So the Jets have to do everything humanly possible to make this work so that it doesn't look like they made a bad decision when they decided to you know, trade a, a lot of future commodities to get Sam Darnold. So, for me, I think that you have to allocate it somewhere between you know forty to possibly forty five million dollars, something in that range um if you can get you know right around the forty mark, maybe you sign a big ticket guy like Conklin around the fourteen to fifteen mark, and then you see what you can do with the other twenty five million, maybe like you had suggested a while back bringing in Alex Lewis, maybe a graham uh Glasgow, who has versatility as guard and center, maybe a Connor McGovern who has the same versatility. And then you try to figure out we're gonna spend at least thirty five to forty five million on the offensive line and leave one or two maybe spots where we could look at the first or second round of the draft and possibly look for a potential long term starter. You know, so if they decide to shore up the tackle positions before the draft, And, you know, maybe you find a way to get Beecham and Conklin and a Glasgow and then you're going into the draft saying, okay, maybe we just need to look for a future center and a guard and we're done. Um, But, you know, you can't you can't not have uh, this idea to you know, give out seven, eight million dollar contracts and get a marginal offensive line and think that, you know, we're going to coach up the offensive line here. They do need to get some premier talent on this line in one or two positions um, in order to protect Sam. So I I wouldn't pay 20 million toward Conklin. I'd be fine at 15. Um, Same thing goes with the Shreff. But yeah, I think 15 million would probably be the most that I would want to spend, you know, at, at a premier offensive line position.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, I think with Conklin, I don't think I wouldn't go 20, but I don't think 15 gets it done. And I I think he's going to end up in that seventeen, right around 17 million. And uh, we'll see how that plays out, but I just don't see him signing for less than that because guys 26-year-old, high level, you know, I'm not saying he's a, he's, a, he's an elite tackle, but he's he's a high level tackle and just go, those guys, 26-year-old tackles don't hit the market. It doesn't happen. It's going to be like Kirk Cousins. Listen, Kirk Cousins is not a 27 million dollar a year quarterback. But young starting quarterbacks who are good, which Kirk Cousins is, don't they don't hit the market, and when they do, teams lose their minds. We saw the other day a report uh Yannick Ngakwe is gonna want twenty two million a year. So he's my next question, Alex. Do you go tw- I, listen, I want the guy. But twenty two million? Are you spending that on that guy? Uh,
1: no, uh, <laughs> I, I know I said that I'm being a little hypocritical here that you have to be aggressive, uh and to do, you know, right by this team and get them to be back into the competitive football, uh, you know, conversation. It's just, it's just too much, uh, at $20 million. Uh, I'm not saying that he's not worth it or he's not talented, but I'd, I'd much rather, Spend the money on the offensive line, and then have an open mind with that first round draft pick. And if Clavon Chason's on the board, let let's go. Um, you know, and this would be a situation where, you know, the Jets probably go out and they get a Conklin and they bring back Beecham and and then maybe they sign someone like McGovern to play center. Now you have three new pieces or two new pieces rather, in the offensive line. And then that gives you options on what you want to do with the guard position when, you, when you're addressing the draft because you can find guards on day two that can be starters. And there's plenty of quality maulers and physical guys in the interior offensive line uh, uh, positions in this draft. So for me, I, I just don't, I'd much rather spend that kind of money to go out and get the best corner in the market than to go out and get a a guy that could possibly just be a defensive end. I know he plays edge or whatever, but I believe that they ran a 4-3 defense, and he was probably lined up with his hand in the dirt quite often. Um, I think that the Jets need a versatile style outside linebacker that can, can play zone, cover the tight end, and then give you an honest pass rush on third down. And I'd much rather try to find a player like that in the draft than spend $20 million on a guy like Ngakwe.
0: All right, and the last player we're going to talk about, because really it just uh, it's one of those things where, do the Jets do something now or did they do something later, and what's the price tag? We know Jamal Adams is going to break the bank. The Jets have him; they've got the fifty-year option because he was a first-round pick. Then they could franchise him a couple times if they see fit. What are you doing if you're if you're Joe Douglas and you've got Jamal Adams? You know he wants a deal. He may even hold out if he doesn't get one. What what are, you, what are you doing there if you're Joe Douglas?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, a couple things that he had said during his presser for the Combine, um, you know, a story that, you know, speaking of Tony, uh, Tony Pauline, he had said that the Jets are looking um, every way possible to trade Le'Veon Bell. Uh, but if you notice the way that he had worded, uh, the way Joe Douglas had worded his statement, is that they are not going to be initiating any calls um, for trades with Le'Veon Bell. So again, that means if someone, you know, if the phone rings, they're going to answer. So I, I kind of saw through that one. Um, But that was another interesting thing that he said. But as far as the Jamal situation, it almost seems like they backed themselves into a corner uh, with a fiasco uh, at the trade deadline last year. Now it's all positive optics. We love Jamal, you know, they're, they, made a nice little uh, montage video of him on on President's Day not too long ago, and they just are showing exuberance that they love everything about Jamal Adams. And he just went out and said that he wants to make Jamal Adams a jet for life. So do you pay now or do you pay later? You know my opinion. I would rather pay later because he's under contract. There's a way that we could pick up the fifth-year option on him um, and prolong this this long-term extension deal, because here's the way I see it too: is that wouldn't it be better for Jamal to play out his contract, make his guaranteed money on his rookie deal, get extended um, for the, with that fifth-year option, probably make somewhere around 12 to 13 million dollars, I'm assuming, and then get signed for the 15 million dollar, 16 million dollar deal, and get the 75 to 80 million dollar contract in year in the middle of year five. So he's making his big bucks, you know, year six through year 10 of his, of his career. Uh, I, I, I don't know. That, that would maybe just be the way that I would do it if I were a professional athlete. Uh, but I understand this is, you know, the type of sport where you have to get your money when, you're at your, when your stock is at the highest. And I think that that's maybe what Jamal is also thinking right now is that I'm playing the best I can play. I'm all pro everybody's talking about me being the best in the league and now it's time to pay me like one. So I can see where Jamal's coming from. I would personally like to prolong it, but if it means, you know, a holdout and things like that, I think that would be extremely detrimental toward his uh, appearance with the team and everything that he said about being a leader and being a team guy. And he will do whatever it takes for the jets. And he wants to win a super bowl. If you're not willing to play out your contract, and be patient, because it is a process. And, and, you know, if your goal is to win a Super Bowl, then you shouldn't be worried about money right now. Uh, so that's kind of how I see it. But then again, I, I, I have to remember this is a business, and these guys are putting their bodies on the line. So
0: they want to get paid. Yeah, I think listen, with, with Jamal Adams, the, how how good of a player he is, you know, all pro, all pro alternate, pro bowler, only you know he's only been in the league a few years, already made a real name for himself um as as far as the whole leadership thing goes, you know, I think people's attention spans are so short you can get away with stuff uh you know where, where you're supposed to like me, for example, and we had this conversation before Alex um the way he handled the situation with Joe Douglas taking phone calls to me that that was the exact opposite of a leader. like you don't go mm-hmm. on social media, rip your g m. You don't stand in front of your locker with reporters and insinuate that your GM and your coach can't be trusted just because they answered the phone and did their jobs. Um, And that's what he did. You know, you remember that interview. I I spoke to Chris Johnson. I I, I like him. I trust him. He's honest. He's he's believable. Chris Johnson tells the truth, you know, so like kind of backhandedly saying that, that Joe Douglas can't be trusted. Of course, when someone suggested that Adams acted as if it was, oh, oh, don't put words on my mouth. But everyone, anyone paying attention could see what he was doing. That being said, the leadership thing, to me, not so much. But he's still an amazing player. He's still an all-pro player. He's a guy who can, he can play the run. He can play the pass. He can get to the quarterback. I said a couple years ago they should have been using him as a, as a rusher off the edge. That short area quickness he has, You know, he, even if he doesn't have a great 40 time, if you can cover 10, 15 yards as quickly as he can, you're going to you're gonna get to the quarterback. I have no doubt he would have had double-digit sacks this year if he would stayed healthy. It's unfortunate that he didn't, but he is going to get a huge contract at some point. The thing there is, I don't think Jamal Adams is going to give them the choice. I think he's going to, and I could be wrong, I'm just guessing here, but I think he's going to hold out if he doesn't get a big deal. I think he's looking at other safeties that he sees that he's better than, and they're getting huge contracts. And like you said, you know, the two two most important parts of your statement, Alex, A, is that it's a business, B, you know, they're putting themselves on the line. So Jamal Adams can go out there, he's gonna play a couple more seasons and risk an injury and lose out on potentially forty, fifty, sixty million dollars? I don't think he is. Yeah. I think he's I think he's gonna want a brand new deal, paying him six fifteen, sixteen million a year. Or I think he's gonna say trade me. Um we'll we'll see where it goes, if that does in fact happen. But uh I I think it has the potential to be a long, drawn out, ugly thing. I know Joe Douglas said what he said. I tend to, you know, I, I I tune in, I watch, I see what the coaches say, what the, what the GM says, even though I know 99% of it is garbage, if not 100%. Um, canned answers, uh, you know, the Brian Winters thing. You know, talking about Brian Winters in a way that would suggest that, uh, you know, there, there's a really good chance he'll be back. I just don't see that happening. I don't see Brian Winters yeah, coming was, back. That was
1: odd, the way that he had... had... That, that they only have one starter coming back. And then he mentioned oh, Brian he, Winters. And I was thinking that he was going to say He's an opening day Chuma starter. Opening, yeah. So I guess, yeah, it, he was an opening day starter. So I guess he did say that correctly. But I was just almost think. I guess a lot of it could be seen as did he just kind of throw a little shade toward Jonathan Harrison and Chuma Idoga? But yes, you are correct. He's an opening day starter. So he yeah, he,
0: after he specified a statement. Yeah, and and listen, Brian Winters, man, you got to love the guy's heart. The guy plays his ass off, but listen, he has been more hurt than he's been in the last three years, which has led to him being a pretty bad player. Not his fault. I get it. You, you wish every guy in the roster had the the heart that this guy does, but the bottom line is you can't pay for you can't pay seven point five million or seven point two for a guy who's injured that often. You just can't. But uh, w- without further ado, Alex, let's, uh, let's jump into our mock draft here. We're going to uh, – I-, I set up some parameters because I don't, I don't like the idea – listen, we obviously have no idea what's going to happen in free agency. The Free agency could change every mock draft you come up with, which is another reason why it's silly to do five mock drafts before free agency even hits. But you, I look out there, I see some publications, you know, mock draft 8.0. Um, <laughs> how you do that, I don't know. But uh, we put, listen, and this is just guessing. You know, obviously, no idea how this will play out. But I wanted to give us some so, something to work around and something to help keep it realistic. So here's what we did. Um, we're assuming Kelvin Beecham leaves to go elsewhere. We're assuming Yannick Ngakwe gets tagged by Jacksonville or goes elsewhere. Jets lose out on him. We're assuming they lose out on Scherf, who is. Apparently, now there's talk about Washington franchise tagging him. Uh, We're assuming they lose out on Joe Thune. Uh, I'd said to you, Alex, in the notes that, you know, they're going to lose out on Conklin and sign Beluga. Really, it doesn't matter. We're assuming they add a right tackle. Whether it's Conklin or Beluga, kind of doesn't matter. Um, We're assuming they add a player like Connor McGovern to play center. And uh, their big money free agent on defense is going to be Byron Jones. We're going to say they go out and get him. So the biggest – and, you know, these these are the, the, the moves that will, most, that will most impact their decisions in the draft. So they're going to add Beluga. They're going to add McGovern. They're going to add Byron Jones. So you don't need a tackle on the, on the right side. You're not dying for a center. You got a good one. And you're all right at corner. Well, you're better off at corner than you were. So it's not – you're not dying for one. Because you have some depth there. You know, the guys The guys like Mallette, who's who stepped up last year, played well enough that they can be your backups. Um, Mallette and who else? Who, who am I forgetting, Alex? Um, it was a backup. Of course, uh-huh. Bless would start. Bless Bless. Austin would start opposite Jones. Uh, you had Mallette. You had, was it Kennedy? And somebody else. Mm-hmm. There was Tyron
1: Brown about a game. Um
0: I know yeah, they got a, really he,
1: liked him early in the season, but then he got hurt. Yeah, he <laughs> but got a, then he came back later on.
0: Yeah, he got he got hurt pretty quick, but uh, but either way, Nate it, Harrison. But I don't know if he's going to be sticking it, around. Yeah, for Nate another Harrison. Year. That, that's what I was trying to think of, Nate Harrison, if he comes back. Mm-hmm. So, um, we're going with one big money corner in free agency, and Jones. We're going with McGovern. We're going with Beluga. Um, I see people out here on Twitter telling me, you know, they got to sign Conklin, Sherf, and Thuney. Like, that, okay, there's 60% of your cap space on three guys. You're not signing three guys who are going to be asking for 17 $18, 19000000 a year. So, those are the three. Also going to have Alex Lewis returning. He's going to be more of a, a backup slash compete for a starting role. And I also threw Brent Qualley in there on a one-year deal. Because if uh, – I thought he looked all right at guard when he played there last year. I just feel like he can be a, a vet who can play a little bit of guard, a little bit of tackle. Step in if somebody gets injured. Uh, you could do a lot worse in terms of backup player. Um, <clears throat> we're using the draft network, and we're only taking players who are on the board when the Jets pick. Um, this is, you know, sometimes I see these mocks where guys are taking guys that are going to be gone in round two, and they're grabbing them in round five. Um, it, it gets kind of ridiculous. So, they're on the board on the draft network on our simulation, then we can't take that player. So that's what we're working with here, and so. Getting things underway, Alex. Uh, I'll just start it off by saying, in the first round, we both took the same player, Andrew Thomas, oh, left nice. tackle out of Georgia, and both our drafts was there. Uh, give me your thoughts on Thomas, Alex. Why, why is he your pick?
1: Yeah, I think that this is this is a safe pick for Joe Douglas to start out. You know, his regime with the Jets in his first draft as a GM. Uh, this is a balanced tackle. Uh, talked about early on in the process as the number one consensus tackle on the board, but as these uh, analyzers have done more of a deeper dive, it seems that people are have modified their boards a little bit, and some people have him sliding just right outside that top 10. Uh, I think that this is just going to be a quality, easy, not a slam dunk, you know, not a layup either. It's just a very, very solid pick and a good base for Joe Douglas to start the draft with, get somebody to play the blind side that hopefully locks it down for the next 10
0: years. Yeah, I think it's weird. I, I took him, I mean, for, listen, I, I don't understand how this guy was uh, a sort of a con- consensus top three, top five pick up until about a month ago when he started to fall on all these mocks and, I think it's a combination of things. More teams that need quarterbacks, of course, you know, because one thing I've mentioned, and it's been mentioned by others, that you kind of had the the Chargers penciled in as likely to take a tackle. Then they're parting ways with Phillip Rivers, so all of a sudden they need a quarterback. And then you have other guys that declared, you know, Okuda, there was people unsure if he was going to declare. He declares as another guy that's going to be in the top five, and guys start getting pushed down. And then you have Makai Becton, who was being talked about as a second rounder, and all of a sudden, Daniel Jeremiah comes out and pegs him as his, his favorite tackle in the draft, has him going four, and everyone jumps on board with that. Now, the difference here, Jeremiah is probably as, as respected a guy out there as there is. I, you know he, Probably him and Mayock were the top two guys, and then Mayock goes and gets a GM job. So really, I think Jeremiah is a guy a lot of fans lean on as a former executive. We know he's got a history with Joe Douglas. So Jets fans kind of tune into him quite a bit, um, and all of a sudden you see you see guys start to drop. You know the, the, all these mocks, all the agnosticators, and all of a sudden Thomas is no longer a, a top ten guy, and we're seeing him go, or I should say, no longer top five, and you're seeing him last till you know nine, ten, eleven, twelve. So if he's there, I mean, listen. The bottom line: the, the Jets should be taking the best tackle, whoever it, whoever it may be. Um, I'm going with Thomas because he was the best tackle on the board when I did my simulation and you're getting a guy out of a major program who's been in some big games and, you know, SEC faced great competition on a regular basis. It's a no brainer pick to me. And uh, if the jets come away from the, come away from the draft with, with this guy as their, as their pick at 11, I think every jet fan should be absolutely ecstatic. And, Listen, Sam Darnold's blindside is protected for the next 10 years, right? That's the plan if you get a guy like that. And uh, oddly enough, Alex, we had the same player again in round two. But this is the, the, the only thing that's going to happen. Much, folks. Huh? We're not, we're not going to sit here and go through, uh, you know, eight, nine picks and have the same guy in every spot. Um, but here, this was uh, a player we've talked about a little bit on the show. Linebacker, edge rusher. Alex, what was your thought process there?
1: Yeah, Zach Bond just, he has the it factor. Uh, I've watched a lot of these outside linebacker and edge guys, and, you know, you start seeing tendencies of certain players, and you say, all right, this guy's probably going to end up, you know, know, ceiling, floor, probably going to be a defensive end. Um, Is he a system guy? Does he belong in the 4-3? Does he belong in this? I just kind of felt like the way that Zach plays his game, he could easily be plugged into a three four or four three. Um, you know, his coverage ability. Uh, you know, I wouldn't want him going out and, and covering man coverage on tight ends, but dropping back into a flat and picking up somebody, um, just being a presence so a quarterback has to look elsewhere. I think he would hold his own like that. But uh as far as like, you know, getting more dogs on this lineup, I, I think that there's a little dog inside Bond and Definitely someone that would be solid against the run on first and second down, and give you an honest pass rush on third down. Kind of like I talked about just earlier in the show. I want somebody that can be solid, and be versatile at the same time. And I think that's what you get with Zach Bond from Wisconsin.
0: Yeah, that's one of my favorite things about about Bond is his, his versatility. You know, looks looks like he's got a, a, a high football IQ when you watch him out there. Anticipates plays well. Which shows he's either got great instincts or watch a ton of film or both. But he really knows what's going on out there. He's got some versatility. I think if you need to, if you wanted to use him as a little bit of a chess side, move him outside, I think he can get that done. I believe he had nine and a half sacks last year at Wisconsin, so he can get to the quarterback. He can play in a few different spots. And I've I've seen him mocked pretty high. I've seen him mocked and off the board by the time the Jets pick in the second round, which is the forty eight pick. Um, this particular time around, he was on the board, so I took him, and uh, and this is where we start to split now, Alex. Uh, we both took Andrew Thomas. We both took Zach Bond with the first third rounder, the Jets, own, the Jets' own third rounder, pick 68. You stay on the offensive line, and I went wide receiver. Alex, you go guard Damian Lewis out of LSU. Go ahead and uh, break that down for us.
1: Yeah, you know, I... Basically, um, I'm a huge, um, you know, Lloyd Cushenberry fan. And as I'm watching him, I'm, I'm looking at the right guard right next to him. And I'm like, man, these two guys are just out there, just burying bodies out there. And you can see that he plays very, very physical and mean. Um, he's got, you know, a chip on his shoulder, it seems like. And, and he's looking to, to be one of those people that, not trying to hurt people, but he also wants to, make sure that his presence is felt on the field. And uh, Damian Lewis uh, definitely has that tenacity that you want with an interior offensive lineman. Um, He would be very solid, you know, on the move. Uh, He's got good feet. And, you know, I believe what a lot of the, the run scheme is is kind of a zone scheme. So his mobility and agility, I think he's completely fine and he would fit right in as far as that's concerned and he would be a plug and play guy i think uh day one
0: i think he he's definitely a plug and play guy and he's you know listen you, you can't go wrong there's some programs that just seem seem to churn out quality players on a regular basis lsu being one of them so i don't think uh i don't think you can go wrong with that pick uh for me again i went with mims only because as i mentioned so much depth at receiver in this class but i you know you probably could wait till round 4 you know, or the, that second, third round or the fourth round and still get a couple of good wide receivers. But I wanted one of the game-breaker types, and I feel like Denzel Mims fits that description. I don't think he was asked to do a whole deep a lot. Then we saw him at the Senior Bowl where he started to fly up draft boards, which, listen, we use that term fly up draft boards as if we see anybody's goddamn draft board. I mean, come on. Um, you know, but but the buzz from the, the former scouts, the rumors, the insiders, the, you know, the, the draft nicks people of that nature, but you could see why. I think PFF had him, they said they had him ranked as like the 60-something best best player in the draft, um, and they bumped him all the way up to 37 after that showing at the senior ball, and it wasn't just PFF. There were plenty of <laughs> blown away. Uh, you know, looks like he's going to be a guy who's going to test well. I'm anxious to see how he does at the combine this week, but I went Denzel Mims, give me, give me a big receiver who can beat you deep and uh, shows great hands and body control. And I'm I'm taking Mims with that first third rounder. And then with the second third rounder, pick 79, Alex, you take your first wide receiver in Texas wide receiver, Colin Johnson.
1: Yes. Um, I'm a big fan of Colin Johnson. Um, I think that he's kind of one of those guys like uh, Jalen Ragor, where if you, you start looking at the stats and, and you're only looking at that and not looking at anything else, you're probably thinking, why would you take a guy at this position? Um, Colin is is extremely unique and athletic. He's one of the the bigger wide receivers in this class, Uh, but he can play inside and he can play outside. Um, He brings good physicality. Uh, You want to talk about somebody in the red zone can go up and and win at the catch point. Uh, Look no further. Um, He can provide a a good deep threat um, and, and take the top off of the defense, and he can also be a good short to intermediate guy as well. Um, very good hands, and I, I think he's got wide receiver one uh, qualities, but, you know, when you're looking at a class with, with this many uh, talented wide receivers, you know, a lot of these guys are just going to fall and slide, um, mainly due to particular teams' needs, um, and, you know, wide receivers uh, are plentiful in this draft, so I'm sure there's probably going to be a lot of You know, players like Colin that will be available on that day three um, that will be playmakers and game changers, you know, uh, early on in the process when when the season
0: starts. Yeah, and that's, you know, we've talked about the depth at the position, and that's why, you know, what you just said, this is going to happen every every mock I've looked at, whether it's on the forums at JetNation.com, which if you're not a member, get logged in, get signed up, comment on our forums. Um, I see people. Oh, there's no way that receiver is going to be there at that. There's no way that kind of he won't be there in the fourth round. He won't be there in the third round. I've heard it a couple times, and I heard it just just a little while ago uh, when I tuned into the draft for a minute. Um, Daniel Jeremiah, who I mentioned earlier, he says he's got 27 receivers with a third round grade, or sorry, up you know in the top in the first three rounds, 27 guys. Listen, 27 – you're not going to see nine receivers in each of the first three rounds get taken. So guys are going to fall. And it, guess what? If that, a, ta- yeah, if, if that many guys do get Yeah, if that many
1: guys do get taken – You're looking at one receiver every, what, four picks?
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and it's – you know, if that were to happen, then there's going to be some really good players in other positions that are going to get pushed down. So whether people yeah. realize it or not, you're either going to get some great value at receiver – Or those receivers are all going to get scooped up early, and you're going to get great value on the O line or somewhere else. So I think that uh, the opportunity is there to to grab some the value in this draft. I think is mid late round and uh, and at receiver in in many rounds, but uh, in that spot where you got, I'm taking probably this is probably my biggest risk of the draft, um and one that I don't really see, I don't see it happening. You know, I mean, again, I'm all all we did was run the draft with the simulator. Guys are there But uh, I went with Fresno State's uh, O-lineman uh, Natani Mutai This guy mm-hmm. listen, He's got some Injury history He's got an ACL uh, He had a Lins Frank, And What I think uh, 18 So he's had a couple Of significant injuries But I'm getting him In the third round Because I think If he can stay healthy I think he's a, He's an all pro type player The guy To me Looks like an absolute You know i I did a write-up on this. We'll post this later on JetNation.com. He's like a man among boys in the trenches. The guy's just throwing people around. And I'm just watching him thinking, you know what? I'm willing to take a risk there. I'm willing to take i a... – I'm not taking a guy like that in the first round. I'm not taking him in the second round. If I can get him with my second, third-round pick, and I think that if he's healthy, he's, a, he's an all-pro type player, at the very least a high-end starter for the next you know however many years, I'm taking him, and as a matter of fact, I saw. Did you, you know, see what like, he did today? Well, I was just about to say it because I only saw it a second ago. Um mm-hmm. These, these, we, uh, we did these several hours ago, and I was glad. You know, having said that, he throws people around. I saw that he uh, he topped out at the at the combine with thirty three reps of two twenty five. Um, Forty four. The dude. Sorry. Forty four reps. Oh Jesus! Did I read that wrong? Forty-four reps, The guy is a monster. The guy is an absolute monster, and people are going to say, "But he has an injury." Listen, sometimes you got to roll the dice. Mistaken? Didn't 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 Gronk fall because he had a bunch of injuries in college? Like sometimes guys get a couple injuries. No, you don't. You don't waste your first-round picks on those guys. But third round, especially when you got two of them, I'm taking him. And I I think I got an all-pro guard. I'll
1: just throw this little side note in here. If you were to watch Makai Becton's tape and you're seeing him throw edge guys with one arm and just burying people all over the place, you'd think that he was probably the strongest guy in the draft. He ends up with 23 reps today, Makai Becton, and Mute comes out with 44. And I'm smiling here. You can't see my face because that was my prediction last week, is that he would be the strongest guy in this draft with the most bench press uh reps. And uh I'm just kind of hoping that that uh, he stays number 1 and and that'll be my own little uh personal uh I guess uh win for for my predictions this draft combine.
0: Yeah, that's I mean the guy the guy's a beast and if if I can get him there if it works out, I think he's an all-pro if you get some injuries, look 50% of your play, your breaks are going to bust if you're among the best GMs. Uh, if if some guys are going to bust, I'd rather bust on a guy who has all-pro potential than, uh, than someone who doesn't, quite frankly. So that leaves us going to round number four, pick 110. Alex, who you got?
1: I'm going with the Oregon left guard, Shane Lemieux. Um, there's a little bit of a theme going on here. Tenacity, intensity, mauler. I want guys that have a lot of grit. Uh, to protect Sam Darnold. And I want to win the battles in the trenches. And if you watch the way Shane plays, uh, he may not be the smoothest guy when he's got a when he's asked to move out into space, but this guy is just a bulldozer. He's just looking to, you know, chip block a defensive lineman and then move to that second level and, and just bury a, a linebacker while his running back, you know, trails him and, and, runs for a first down, I could perfectly see him fitting in and, and helping this team become more of a power-run style team and, and be more dominant in the run game. And uh, Shane Lemieux out of Oregon, if you haven't seen any tape on him, um, I, I highly advise uh, going to watch it because he's one of those offensive linemen where it's not going to be boring at all. He, he, you're going to have those wow factors, and your eyes are going to light up a little bit. And what's really cool is I saw him working out about two weeks ago, and he was saying um, the more versatile you are, um, you know, the, or like improve, or improve your versatility or make yourself more accessible, something of that nature. And uh, what I'm getting at is that he's learning how to uh, work under center. So he's willing to make a change and work inside as a guard or as a center if the team wants him to do so. And you gotta like a guy that has versatility, something that Joe Douglas had talked about in his previous presser this week. Um, so if you're looking for somebody that you can kind of move around in different areas, Shane Lemieux is a great guy to, to draft in the fourth round.
0: I like Lemieux. I was really surprised to see Matt Miller in his first seven-round mock had Lemieux going in the seventh because I wow. like third, fourth-round player. Um, we'll see if that changes. You know, and you know, listen, Matt Miller's not the be-all, end-all. But uh, the guy – one thing I like about Miller, he's one of the few guys – he's probably the first name guy that does a seven-round mock early on, uh, which is just kind of nice to get get a full list of, of where someone's thinking about players going. Um, staying on the O-line, uh, that's the other theme here, Alex. You mentioned uh, nastiness. If you notice, it's, it's all about supporting and protecting Sam Darnold so far. Um, for me, I'm going O-line. I talked about a little bit. Uh, ben Bredesen out of Michigan, another guard. So I got Mutai and Bredesen back-to-back. Uh, hopefully they win starting jobs and, and, they, and they would flank McGovern with uh, with Thomas on one side and then the right tackle we talked about the free agency. But Bredesen, young guy, 20, 21 years old, but he started for the last few years at Michigan. Ton of playing experience, great durability, uh, plays with a little bit of a mean streak, and I think for a guy as young as he is, I think he's got room to grow and get better. I think his, uh, I think at, at the very least, he's a guy, well, I, I should say at, at the most. I, I think his ceiling is basically a, a long-term quality starter. And if I can get that in the fourth round, uh, you know, on the interior line, I'll take it. And again, with him being so young, who knows how good he can get. But uh, I think currently he's kind of projected in that range, that four, you know, that fourth round area. And I would gladly take him there. And your next pick, Alex, is uh, as we go to round five, pick number 140. I think this is one of the more entertaining, one of the – I mean, talk about a guy who's fun to watch. Um, I was glad when I saw you put him on your list because I thought about putting him on mine, and I I didn't, but I like getting his name out there. Uh, Go ahead and and tell the people who you took and tell them why.
1: Uh, Lynn Bowden, Jr. from Kentucky. Uh, You want to talk about somebody that – basically is a weapon in any position at any point in time on, uh, during a game as a kick returner, as a punt returner, uh, as a emergency quarterback, wildcat runner. Uh, he played a little bit of running back, and he also dominated as a wide receiver. I think he racked up somewhere right around like 2,800 all-purpose yards or something crazy like that. Um, this is just – he's just one of those guys, he's all ball, um, loves the game, and, um, you know, something that Joe Douglas had talked about, he wants explosive playmakers on his team. Um, You want to talk about getting a late-round steal and somebody that can, you know, bring a spark to this offense and special teams, Lynn Lynn Bowden Jr. is that man. And I will pound the table for him until April (laughs) on draft day
0: yeah just an exciting guy to watch i mean the the work he did the work he did when being asked you know asked to play quarterback, asked to play running back as a return man, just an explosive guy, really good hands, a guy that you know i I, I would have no issue with you know some people look at him and think, oh, he doesn't have a true position, he's a gadget guy, you don't want a gadget guy listen the, the gadget guys aren't a bad thing nowadays, as versatile as offenses are getting um for me yeah. fifth round one forty. Uh, you've heard me talk about him quite a bit on the show. I'm going with Brian Edwards. Uh couldn't resist that pick. Another really good option at receiver. Uh won't be participating in the combine. He broke his foot, but that uh that should be that will be healed up and ready to he'll be ready to go by the time the season starts. So give me Brian Edwards uh some of those the, the acrobatic grabs. He's got good height, six three, six four, and uh really good catch radius, knows how to position himself, knows how to block out defenders. And uh, and like I said, make some some of the better catches you'll ever see. Give me Brian Edwards in the fifth round, and that brings us to round six, where the Jets have two sixths. Uh, for some reason, none of the you know there's only a couple mock sites out there that you can simulate, and uh, none of them have it right. Uh, <laughs> That's true. I don't, yeah, I don't know why they haven't updated it, but as it stands, the Jets do not have a seventh round pick. They've got two sixths they've got 171 and 191. Alex, who are you taking with the 171st pick?
1: Okay, so we're addressing the cornerback position a little bit late here, uh, but LaVert Hill from Michigan, I think he is destined to be a quality nickelback corner, and in today's day and age, those guys are considered starters as well, so this will be you know, very reminiscent of some past drafts where the Jets seem to Strike gold in the sixth round. Um, And I think that if he's on the board and you haven't done too much in free agency at the cornerback position and you're looking to get some young talent here that you can kind of work into the system in a year or two, I think LaVert Hill would be a very sound player in a Greg Williams defense.
0: Yeah, I will say uh, for me personally, with, with looking at Byron Jones, looking at bless Austin, and looking at the depth behind him. And, you know, like I said, the, the, the free agent signings we're working with are the ones, the biggest signings, the biggest impact. I'm assuming there'll be another corner added, you know, sort of mid-level guy. So I, that's why I neglected corner in this draft and didn't take any. What I did do, um, I went with another receiver, Alex. And, pe- you know, you might say, oh, why three receivers? are too many. Listen, I think Robbie walks. And if we're talking about taking care of Sam Darnold, that means right now he's got Jamison Crowder as his only established receiver. He's got a slot guy. Nobody on the outside, nobody proven, and you got to figure somebody might bust, somebody might take a little longer to develop than others. So unless unless we see, and, and really I don't know what big-time receivers are out there. There really aren't in free agency. I think maybe you see them bringing a... a, a Rashad Perryman, something like that might come in, but if not, if there's not a significant receiver added in free agency, they need to draft three, whether, whether fans like it or not. I went with Antonio Gandy-Golden, a guy I've talked about, guy at a Liberty, tall receiver, 6'4", 6'5". I, I didn't see what he checked in out of the combine, but that's what I've seen him listed at. Uh, guy, you know, I mentioned Brian Edwards having a catch radius, uh, Gandy-Golden even more so, at least it looks that way when you watch him on game day. Does a fantastic job of high pointing the ball. I think I've mentioned in the past. I think that he's a guy that even you know if he doesn't have a refined route tree and he needs some time to come along, he's somebody you could use as a, a target in the back of the end zone in the red zone, so he can find a way to contribute early on while he develops, and that that gives me three receivers to add to uh, to add to Crowder and Herndon and Griffin, and I, and I like that. I, I I just I feel like when when the draft falls in such a way that the the deepest position group is one of your biggest areas. And it's a position like receiver where you can use four or five at a time and you've only got one. I'm taking three. And now that may change. You know, again, we'll do another mock probably, you know, a few weeks after the first major wave of free agency. And, you know, if they add a couple receivers or even at least one vet, I'll probably change this. But if it's going to be Crowder and Braxton Berrios and Vincent Smith come draft time, you better believe I'm taking three receivers. And uh, last but not least, round six, pick 191. Who you got, Alex?
1: Okay. Um, just because of his nickname, maybe, is why I did this too. And I've talked to him about him several weeks in a row. This is Darius Jet Anderson. Uh, This guy has got wheels like you wouldn't believe. Um, Just really, really good straight-line speed. Um, Not a bad option coming out the backfield as a receiver either. I think early on he probably would be considered like a scat back. Um, Obviously uh, not expecting too, too much, being that we have a premier running back in-house that we're paying an absurd amount of money for in Le'Veon Bell. But you you need bodies. You need guys to take a little bit of, uh, you know, the the weight off of Le'Veon Bell's shoulders. And at the moment, you know, our running back situation is not that that it's bad. uh, We're just not that deep. Um, You know, currently, year-to-date, if my mind is uh, correct, I believe we've got Le'Veon Bell. Uh, We have a coming back off an injury uh, in... Oh, the kid from Appalachian State, Jalen Moore, Cannon. Um, who who was put, put on the IR basically right off the jump after we picked him up from the UDFA draft, and then uh, Trenton Cannon. Um, can't forget about the, the sixth-round uh, guy from the, the small school that we got a couple years ago. Um, this is somebody that we were anticipating to give us a big boost on special teams this year. Unfortunately, he got hurt. So, again, the Jets are just not that deep at running back, and, you know, why spend, you know, any sort of money in free agency on, on another running back? Uh, because yeah, no. clearly we thought we were going to see a lot out of Ty Montgomery last year, and we really didn't. So you might as well go to the draft with one of your last picks just to get a body in there and see what happens.
0: Yeah, and I'm curious to see uh, what happens with Josh Adams, the guy they picked up from Philly. Uh, oh, yeah. Spent most true. of the year on the practice squad and then ended up. Uh... Ended up, you know, getting activated late in the year, but didn't really see any action. So Josh Adams, he's got a little bit of experience. He's had a little bit of success. Uh, far, I don't think he's a good enough player that you uh, you start altering your draft plans, but maybe they like him that much to do it. You know, and that's the other thing. That's something we'll look at at some point this offseason, Alex, is, you know, are, and it's always fun to, to look and dig through the roster. Like, are there any guys on the roster we're overlooking that, who could be better than what we've seen or who just haven't had a shot yet? Because, listen... Uh, One guy that jumps out at me, Josh Malone, Josh Malone is a six foot three, six foot three speedster who, you know, people thought would be able to play in the league and hasn't done a whole lot. But he's, you know, he's a guy that I think it was uh, Dan Leberfeld and I could be wrong if I'm uh, I hope I'm not misquoting him here. But I think Leberfeld said that he he thinks the Jets really do like Malone um, as a guy who could, you know, sort of come along next year. So, you know, at some point we'll do a deep dive on the practice squad. We might just do the whole 90-man roster, and I mean, yeah, there would there would be no need to, to go to delve deep into the the regulars, the starters, but we'll we'll look at the bottom of the roster guys at some point and look and say, you know, is there somebody on this team we're we're discounting? You know, Jalen Moore is is who you were talking about out of Appalachian State. You know, is he a guy that could that could steal a roster spot as a running back? Anthony Kiofi, the safety who they, they signed from the CFL, the Rutgers product. Um, you know, guy ran an insane 40 and, you know, prior to the draft and had to fight his way back into the league. You know, some people think that he might be able to to get himself a roster spot. So, um, you know, it, it'll be interesting. And it, it, it's always fun, again, to do those deep dives and look for those those diamonds in the rough, so to speak. So i uh, wrap things up here. Uh, round six, pick 191 for myself. Um, I also went with a running back. I, I switched back and forth a couple times, times um, before finally selecting Reggie Corbin. Running back out of Illinois, uh, he's a guy sort of reminiscent of Leon Washington, in my opinion. Maybe not quite as fast, but at least when I watch him, that's, he, he, that's, the, that's the guy he reminds me of. Not a big guy, uh, really quick, can be elusive at times. Straight line runner more than I would like, but I, you know, I was able to find a few games where, where he makes guys miss. Um, fantastic balance, saw some runs where he, he really thought he was going to go down and he managed to keep his feet and keep moving forward. And let's face it, you know, when you're talking round six, seven, these are guys that, that make a roster kind of 20% of the time, but he's a guy, he can be a return man if they want him to and uh, good hands out of the backfield. So that, that would be my, uh, that'd be my spot there. And if, if I had to pick one, that's probably the spot, the only spot, Alex, where I really struggled and went back and forth. But uh, so to recap uh, for myself and Alex, we both picked the same players in rounds one and two. Andrew Thomas and Zach Bond. Then in round three, Alex goes with Damian Lewis. I go with Denzel Mims. The following round, round or the second, the second pick in round three, Alex goes Colin Johnson. I'm taking uh, Natani Mutai. Alex goes Ben Bredesen at 110, at 140. It's Lynn Bowden for Alex. I'm taking Brian Edwards. Lavert Hill is Alex's pick at 171. I'm taking my third receiver, Antonio Gandy Golden. And then we both finished things up at pick 191 with a pair of running backs. Alex going with Darius Jet Anderson, uh, me going with Reggie Corbin. So the theme here, as, as I said, as we were about halfway through, lots of offensive line, lots of targets for Sam Darnold. Um, you went with two defensive players. I only went with one. Uh, and part of the reason for that, Alex, and, and again, Uh, I I wasn't going to try to anticipate every single free agent signing because even trying to guess a few is a bit of a, you know, a fool's errand. Uh, It's certainly even more so to try to sit and and predict seven or eight or nine mid to low level signings. But I think, I think the jets are going to have an easier time and people can tell, I'm not intentionally taking a shot at Adam Gase here, but I think if you're a general manager, you're going to have a much easier time selling Greg Williams to your defensive free agents than you are selling Adam Gase to your offensive free agents. Um, Take that for what it's worth. We'll see what happens. I think that, you know, I think if, like, if you're Joe Thune and you're going from a Bill Belichick school, do you want to go play for Adam Gase? Um, I would venture to guess no. I hope I'm wrong because I would like Thune to to show up. But I think, uh, I think big money will go on some, Well, not not necessarily big contracts but several contracts uh will will be used on on the defensive side of the ball with a heavy heavy emphasis on young players on offense to get things going and get uh help sam sam donald turn things around so uh that that wraps up our mock alex and before we before we close things out, uh, there was one story that that surfaced that we didn't. I don't think we addressed it yet. Uh, can't even remember how. Yeah, I don't. I don't think we. I don't think we did. I sent out a tweet. One of it's it's tough to find issues that Jets fans are united on. I feel like almost every tweet I send out. I know
1: where you're going now.
0: <laughs> it's like it's always fifty-fifty. Like it's it's uncanny. The like, number of times I see like fifty-one forty-nine. Like, geez, like, everyone's so divided, like, down the middle on everything. But, Alex, uh, the idea of taking Ruggs with the 11th pick as, uh, you know, that was another rumor floating around. Henry Ruggs III out of Alabama, they're expecting him to run, like, a two-five-six. Uh People, Rich Cimini reporting that <laughs> Joe Douglas and the – sorry? No, yeah, I thought that was funny, the two-five-six. Yeah, maybe maybe a little higher than that. But uh, Rich Zanini reporting that the Jets have reported – that the Jets reporting they have reportedly that was good. Uh, reportedly have had their eye on him for some time. How would you feel if they were to take Rugs and pass on a left tackle? Because we know there's not a you know it's it's I I, I tweeted that out. People say well it depends on what they do in free agency. And my thought is what free agent left tackle is out there that would make it okay to pass on one of these top left tackles. Uh, how would you right. feel about
1: that, Alex? obviously I think a lot of work will be done in free agency with the offensive line that will give them the opportunity to exercise that option. Uh, That's the thought process going into here. Uh, I think it's clear that we need to get uh, playmakers and explosive guys on the offensive side of the ball, uh, just so that so much is not put onto, you know, Le'Veon Bell or Sam Darnold and rugs, you know, he, he said it in an interview earlier this week. He wants to be the fastest guy ever, as far as the 40-yard uh, uh, dash is concerned, and he wants to break the record, which I believe is at a 4.22 or 4.21, maybe. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, obviously, I think that it's completely possible. Um, the guys like the the road runner um, when he's out in space, uh, just. Makes people look really, really silly. There's this viral video of him, uh, you know, doing a hundred yard meter dash with a couple of his teammates or friends, and he's probably got a good fifteen meters um, on everybody when he's finishing the race, which is absolutely absurd. That's like Usain Bolt kind of uh, style running. So this guy has got overall talent as far as speed is concerned, um, predicated that they do right by the offensive line. Um, I will be open-minded to rugs at 11. Um, It will sting greatly if a player like Makai Becton or Jedrick Wills is on the board and we go that route. Uh, You might see some poor reactions from me on Twitter, Uh, but I don't want to be, I guess, narrow-minded with this, this pick here. Um, I want to be a little bit safer with the draft as I've mentioned and do, but do right by Sam uh, and protect him at all costs. But at the same time, uh, this he could be one of the most explosive players to come into the league, um, you know, somebody with like Tyreek Hill kind of acceleration, and who wouldn't want that on your offense? Um, you know, watching him just cook defensive backs, you know, all day long when, when you need somebody to go out and make a, a big play, just get the ball in the guy's hands and, and just watch him do his thing. Uh, it's a beautiful thing when Ruggs is, you know, in mid-stride making guys look bad. So I, I would be for it, but like you said, the table would have to be greatly set in order for this to happen for me to be, uh, I guess, comfortable.
0: Yeah, I, I can't – it's it's weird because I can't see a scenario where I'd be, you know, happy to see them pass on one of these tackles. But I w- w- when you're talking about a guy like Ruggs, like it would also be difficult not to be excited to be adding him but I still would prefer definitely prefer they go with the, uh, with the left tackle in that spot, because again, I I do expect at least one of them to be available. So we'll see what happens. Uh, You know, we have, uh, we have plenty of time to go plenty of time to speculate. We will, as I said, we will do one more mock before the, uh, before the NFL draft. We will not be doing 15 more mocks before the NFL draft. And uh, that wraps it up for us tonight. hope you enjoyed it. Always a good time for us. We do have some, uh, some pretty awesome guests coming up in the next couple of weeks to break things down for us. Uh, not going to, not going to give any names out at this time, but, uh, but uh, hang with us. We got some good guests who are going to have some insight. They're at the combine right now and they're going to provide some, uh, some inside info for us and, and share their notes with us. So that'll do it for us this evening. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed it. And as always jet nation, have a great evening, Alex, go ahead and I'll give out the Twitter handle and we'll call it a night.
1: All right, Dueling Mox had a lot of fun tonight. Uh, Jets fans, let us know what you thought. Please interact with us on Twitter, and you can follow me at NYJetsLife24. Have a good evening, Jet Nation.
0: Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets!